0: Thank you, Nicole, for that great time of worship tonight. We hope you joined in there, right there in your homes. I have to share this uh, before I get into Colossians. Uh, you know, Nicole sang so much about faith and the promises of God and all of that tonight and then spoke about it. So this morning, I write my blog many days ahead, right? Uh, so I sat down this morning and the verse that I wrote about Uh, in in the blog that's going to be coming out in a few weeks are these words out of Hebrews chapter 10. And let us hold unwaveringly to the hope that we confess for the one who made the promises is trustworthy. The one who made the promises is faithful. And that's what we were talking about tonight. That's awesome. Hey, I want to invite you to the book of Colossians now. Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to pick it up. In verse 28 of Colossians chapter 1, tonight, again, remember that Paul's writing this letter to the church at Colossae from a Roman prison cell. Two primary themes in this letter, the supremacy of Jesus Christ, that he is above all things and therefore should have first place in all things. Part of that means then that if Jesus Christ is having first place in our lives, that whatever his plan is for us, whatever his purpose is for our lives, whatever his will is for our lives, that's what we should embrace, and we're going to talk about that. And then secondly, the second great theme of this letter is the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, that in him dwells all the fullness of of deity. He is 100% God and 100% man. And that you and I, when we enter into him through faith, we're filled. And therefore, our sufficiency is based and founded on his sufficiency. Therefore, everything that he asks us to do or invites us to do as part of his will, we are able to do it because of his sufficiency. The supremacy is what recognizing, I guess, his supremacy is what gets us to surrender or submit to his will, and then understanding and comprehending his sufficiency is what gives us confidence to be able to do his will. And Paul's going to continue to talk about that tonight as he moves on talking to us about being a servant. Because last week, we talked about the fact that his will is found for us in verse 25, where Paul said, I became a servant of the church according to the stewardship of God. That all of us are called to serve the church and do our part within the body of Christ in some way. Now, tonight, Paul's going to tell us what the goal of our service is all about and how there's a certain environment that helps us reach that goal, and then there's certain evidences that let us know that we are reaching that goal. The goal of service is found in verse... 28 of Colossians 1. We proclaim Him by instructing and teaching all people with all wisdom, here it is, so that. And almost every time you see the two words, so that, you know that the purpose for something is coming. And the purpose of all this is so, Paul says, we may present every person mature in Christ. By the way, the word present there again, a technical term, a term that was used in the Old Testament to speak of a priest who would offer the sacrificial offering. It's the idea that Paul is saying here, I want to present people to God to be at His disposal for service who are mature, not immature, mature servants. Okay? That's the goal. Maturity. We're going to talk a lot about that tonight. What what does it mean to be mature? in Christ, because that's the goal. Every person, everyone in the body of Christ, that should be every Christian's goal. That's part of us becoming a servant of the church. That's why we do our part within the church, so that as each of us does our part, the church is growing. And not just physically, but spiritually, we are growing and we are becoming more mature in Christ. Well, first of all, I want us to look at what Paul lays out here as sort of the environment that's needed to help us move towards that goal. Because in verse 29, he even starts out moving toward this goal, and then he starts to talk about some things. But I want to go back up to verse 28 at the very beginning. Because even before he sort of announces the goal, he gives us one of the main things that gives us the environment for this goal to be reached. And that is in the first three words of the Net Bible translation of verse 28 of Colossians 1. We proclaim Him. Who's the Him? Well, Christ, the hope of glory, verse 27. We proclaim Him. That's what we do in our worship. That's what we do with the Word. That's what all of us as Christians should always be doing because without proclaiming Christ without making Christ front and center, lifting Him up, exalting Him, learning about Him, understanding more about Him, all that. Maturity doesn't happen. Maturity only happens as we proclaim Him. And we can't proclaim Him enough. We can't exalt Him enough. We can't worship Him enough. There's no point where we get to in the now and even in eternity where it's like we get tired of proclaiming Jesus that we get to the end of talking about Jesus. We could never get to that point because He is the infinite God. And no matter how much we proclaim Him, there's always more that we can discover and learn and grow from knowing more and more and more about Jesus. So Paul said, it all starts with the leaders of the church and with every member of the church and with every Christian having sort of the mindset and, and the goal of, of spiritual maturity, but knowing that the only way we're going to get there is by continuing to proclaim Jesus Christ. Keep your finger there in Colossians. Go back with me to the book of First Corinthians for just a moment. to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 22 and 23. Paul says a similar thing here in 1 Corinthians 1:22. 1, For Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks ask for wisdom. But we preach about a crucified Christ, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. If you and I want to know power, we want to know wisdom, then we've got to focus on Christ. Everything that we do, we've got to focus on Christ. We've got to proclaim Him. Again, we've got to talk. We've got to lift Him up. It's got to be Jesus-centered. Christ at the very center of everything. And then if you go back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, Paul goes on to say, We proclaim Him, we, not just one, but all of us are proclaiming Him, first of all, by instructing. It means giving guidance. It is sort of speaking about a a training of someone that's encouraging. Think about that. Coaching that's encouraging makes you want to keep on doing it or going after it. And then teaching. Teaching. If instructing gives guidance, then teaching gives understanding. And notice he says, we need to instruct and teach all people with all wisdom, which is simply a fitting application of God's Word to real life situations. You know, we can have all the knowledge in in the world, if you will, but if we don't know how to take God's knowledge, God's book, and be able to apply it to our everyday lives, then we're lacking wisdom, all right? But again, Paul is proclaiming Jesus Christ so that we may present every person mature in Christ. Again, we can't get to maturity. We cannot reach our goal without first proclaiming Him. But secondly, notice what Paul says then in verse 29. We also need people like Paul, and like we've already talked about in the book of Colossians, people like Epaphras, people like Timothy, who also, like Paul, are willing to labor. Because notice Paul says in verse 29, not only do we need to proclaiming, uh, proclaim Jesus, but toward this goal, I also labor. Are we willing as Christians to labor? to bring about our own maturity and the maturity of others? You see, because that's really even what service is all about. When you and I are willing to become servants of the church and we're willing to serve the Lord in whatever capacity He calls us to serve, it not only then will benefit and profit others and help them to mature, but by serving and doing the will of God that God calls us to, we also mature. And you and I cannot fully mature unless we're willing to serve. Because it is in serving that God not only matures those we're serving, but matures the one who's serving as well. Am I willing to labor? Another phrase we could use here is to be fully engaged. We need people in the church who are willing to be engaged with other Christians in bringing all of us to maturity. That needs to be the heartbeat of us as Christians. That needs to be our goal. Every ministry within our church should be, you know, sort of focused on that whatever we're doing, is it bringing us as fellow believers more towards Jesus and, and more towards maturity and spiritual growth? That's what, for instance, here at the Oasis, our worship ministry, our men's ministry, our women's ministry, our youth ministry, hospitality, whatever it is, are we using these ministries? Are we engaged in what God is calling us to do and asking us to do and inviting us to do so that others can mature by us doing our part? And not just half-hearted, because the word labor means I'm all in. I'm fully engaged with making this happen. Well, that means also then that you and I as Christians need to be faithful in our service, and that's certainly one of the requirements. Moreover, it is required in stewards, 1 Corinthians 4.2, that God finds us faithful. You and I can't labor and be fully engaged in something if we only show up half the time you see. So Paul says, here's the environment that starts moving us towards the goal, and that is proclaiming Jesus Christ every chance we get in our worship and through the word and through every other ministry that we're involved with, and being willing to labor, being fully engaged. But then Paul even goes a step further. He says, struggling, 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 And this isn't the only time Paul uses this word. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. Why? Because bringing people to spiritual maturity, bringing us to spiritual maturity, is a battle. It's a battle. I love that last song that we sang because it talks about kneeling on the battleground. You know, the scars and, and all that. That, that's part of it. Are we willing to, to step into the arena like Paul did and struggle to bring people to spiritual maturity? And for us to find that spiritual maturity as well? It comes through struggle, you see. Exerting every ounce of energy and effort because there's all kinds of forces against that, you see. That's why... I, encourage Christians in this way that if you're making a commitment to grow and to mature, look out because there's going to be all kinds of obstacles now and forces in your way. If you're starting to really get serious about your walk with God and, and wanting to grow and wanting to mature and stuff, that's great. That That's where all of us need to be. But just be aware that you're going to face all kinds of opposition and obstacles spiritually to that commitment. Because even our spiritual enemy understands he doesn't want mature Christians. Mature Christians are dangerous to the kingdom of Satan, you see. He, he wants to keep us baby Christians. He, he wants us to, to, to be infants in Christ, you see. He wants us to still be childish in many ways, and and lack understanding and all that. He wants to keep us there, you see, because we're more vulnerable there to what Paul's even going to talk about later. It is the mature Christians that are discerning and perceptive and and understand the the deeper issues of things that are going on, and, and that's the ones that are truly dangerous. So that's why Paul says, I struggle. I not only labor, I struggle Notice now, Paul says, though, I struggle, yes. This isn't easy. This isn't for being engaged in, in our own spiritual maturity and then being engaged in trying to help other Christians become spiritually mature. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not for the weak. It's not for the wimps out there. No, it, it, it's going to take those who are willing to get into the arena and battle every day. But Paul says, notice at the end of verse 29, but we never have to do this in our own power. In fact, in fact, we can't do it in our own power. If, if we're trying to mature ourselves or grow ourselves and help others to grow, and we're doing it in our power, it'll never happen. The only way you and I mature, the only way we bring other people to this goal that Paul talks about in verse 28 is notice, according to His power, that powerfully works in me. It is that inner strength supplied by the Lord that energizes us. This word that Paul uses is always used of superhuman power, supernatural power, the power that comes from God. And Paul is saying, the only way I can step into the arena and struggle like I do for you and for others and even for my sake is by his power. I can't do it on my own. So again... (laughs) God is sufficient. He'll give us the necessary power that we need to to struggle, you see, and to be in the struggle. So we've got to trust and have faith that he'll supply that strength. So this is the environment that Paul's been talking about here in these last two verses of chapter 1. But remember, the chapter divisions are sometimes placed, unfortunately, because Paul's not finished his thought here on this whole goal of spiritual maturity. Now when he comes into chapter 2, the first few verses, now he's going to start talking to us, as he did the Colossians, about the evidences that will start to pop up in a community of believers, whenever the goal is spiritual maturity and the environment has been set for that because we're proclaiming Him, we're willing to labor, and we're willing to struggle towards that end, both for our own maturity and for the maturity of others. Again, remember, it's the only way that we mature. And and that service is a huge way God has chosen to mature us and to mature those who are under our service. So Paul says in chapter 2, verse 1, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea. Even though he says, I've not even met you face to face. Boy, that's a real challenge. Sometimes we find it hard to even labor and struggle for those that we see face to face and that we know. Paul says, I'm willing to do this even for Christians that I've never met. Oh, by the way, keep your finger there one more time. I want you to go back with me to the book of Galatians. This is a great illustration of this concept of struggling. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. Paul makes an interesting statement. I know many of the gals out there will take issue with this. How can a man understand what it's like to give birth? I don't think we can in any sense. But I think what Paul, in a sense, is saying is, I understand at least enough to know that though I never had a baby, I understand the pain that a woman goes through when she gives birth, at least from an observer perspective, right? So Paul understands that. He's maybe been around gals who've birthed children before. So that's what he uses to describe bringing other Christians to maturity. Notice what he says in Galatians 4.19. This is the struggle. My children, I am again undergoing birth pains until Christ is formed in you. Bringing people to spiritual maturity is what? Christ being formed in us. In other words, the more people see Jesus in us, that's how we gauge our own spiritual maturity. Learning to talk like Jesus and act like Jesus and Interact with others and respond like Jesus. Again, it's Christ likeness. That, that's in essence what spiritual maturity is. If you want to just sort of dissolve it down to one word, it's Christ likeness. It's Christ formed in us. But again, notice what Paul says I'm in pain, like a woman giving birth to a child until Christ be-. Why? Because there's a lot of pain and struggle, and blood, and sweat, and tears involved in bringing other people to spiritual maturity, just like there is them bringing us to spiritual maturity. But notice something here. The dynamic is you and I don't get to spiritual maturity or to Christ-likeness on our own. We don't get there independently of each other. We only get there as we are willing to be interdependent on each other. Again, spiritual growth and maturity never takes place in a vacuum. It's always in interaction with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's why even us being at a distance is something that you and I can only be willing to do for so long. Otherwise, we will not be able to fulfill the commands of Christ in the New Testament to His church. Back to Colossians chapter 2. Let's start looking very briefly at the evidences then of knowing that we're moving towards the goal. Chapter 2, verse 2 of Colossians. My goal then, as we move towards this goal, is that their hearts, the hearts of those in Colossae and Laodicea, would be knit together in love. Welded, fused, glued. I don't care what word you use to speak about strong connection. Paul says, here's how we know we're moving towards the goal of spiritual maturity. When we allow God to knit our hearts together to other believers. Now listen, this doesn't mean that you and I are going to be equally close to every Christian in the body. We're going to have those that we're closer to than others. And especially to those folks, our hearts can truly be knit together. We we sort of move as one, we think as one, because the, of the Holy Spirit's connection that we have with, with other believers. But the idea is that we're open and willing to have our hearts be knit together to others. Because the only way the body can truly function is for us to love each other that much that we're willing to have our hearts knit to other believers. Let me ask you a question tonight. Do you have your heart knit to another believer? At least one, two, three, four? That's a sign that we're moving towards our goal whenever we are willing to have our hearts knit to other believers, fused together, glued together, intertwined with each other, because again, we can't get there on our own. And God then will use those relationships, especially where our hearts are knit to one another, to really grow us and mature us and move us towards that goal. God will use their life to rub up against our life and create what the Old Testament book of Proverbs says is that iron sharpen iron principle. Whereas we move up and down with each other in life and we do life and ministry together, we actually both become more like Christ. The second sort of evidence that we see is that we may be encouraged that through these relationships we have with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, that it's out of us growing together and having our hearts knit together that we become encouraged. And by the way, another great word to use here would be the word strengthened. Because that's also what this word means. That you and I become stronger, again, not by being apart from one another, but by having our hearts knit together with each other, moving all of us towards the goal of being mature in Christ. And the only way we get there is, again, don't forget the environment, proclaiming Him, being willing to labor, being willing to struggle. Can you imagine being part of a community of believers where everybody would be all in with that goal? Where, I mean, we just constantly proclaim Christ through our worship and through the Word and through every ministry that existed, that every person bought into laboring and being fully engaged in helping their brothers and sisters in Christ mature as they mature and then be willing to enter the arena every day and struggle because it's going to be a battle as we all move towards that goal. But we are going to do it with the power that God gives us. And as we start to grow and as we start to mature, God's going to start knitting hearts together. And as those hearts are knit together, we start to get stronger together. And then notice this. Another evidence of our spiritual maturity is that they may have all the riches that assurance brings in their understanding of the knowledge of the mystery of God, namely Christ. Let's actually start with the word understanding because that's really where it starts. I'm trying to sort of paint a picture here and get us to see the progression Once we've made the goal of our service, maturity, God will begin to knit hearts. Then we will get stronger as we do this together. And as we do this together, another evidence is we will come to a greater understanding. We will begin to grasp and comprehend something. What is it that we're comprehending? This knowledge that Paul talks about here, which is namely Christ. The understanding is the sufficiency of Christ. That again, everything we would ever want or ever need is found in Christ. And I'm going to come back to that, but I want to just sort of move ahead just a minute to keep up with the progression. Then after we begin to understand, guess what else is an evidence? Assurance have all the riches that assurance brings in their understanding. The more you and I comprehend and understand who we have in Jesus, that we have our all-sufficient Savior, and that everything we would ever want as a body of believers and even as individual believers can be found in Him, never outside of Him, then that begins to not only strengthen us, That begins to build our confidence, because that's really what this word assurance means. It speaks about a confidence, a a conviction. And you know, I've seen that in my own life, where God has knit my heart together with another believer, where we begin to be stronger together, more than we ever could apart where God begins to open up our understanding to where we grasp more and more about who Jesus is, and we begin to mutually encourage each other to the point where we both or three or four of us begin to get more confident in our walk with God and in our service for God. Again, because we're always reminding each other, you realize we're not doing this, right? God's doing this through us. In fact, even here at the Oasis, we go through that every week. We Used to, when we were all meeting here, the worship team and me, we would meet back there in the green room, and we would pray before we would come out, and we would minister to you all. And, and every week, we, you know, we're reminding ourselves, you know, we can't step out here on this platform and do this in our own power and strength. We, we can't do what God is asking us to do on our own. We can't do it. God, we need you. And when we we call upon the Lord to help us and and we remind ourselves it's only through Christ that we can do this, but we're encouraging each other to keep leaning on Christ. That's what Paul's talking about here. That's one of the evidences, actually, that, that we're maturing and growing is when we keep encouraging each other by reminding, you know, God's calling you to do that. And you may be sort of wavering or doubting yourself and all that. Well, remember... God's going to give you everything you need to do, it if that's what He really wants you to do. And that's part of what the body is all about, is us coming together so that we can have that mutual support and encouragement of each other to sort of be each other's cheerleaders as we move towards the goal of spiritual maturity. Because we know that as we move towards that goal, and as we get closer to where God wants us to be as a church and as individuals, more and more opposition, more and more winds of adversity are going to be blowing against us. And therefore, we've got to be stronger. Stronger individually and stronger with each other. And now I love this. Paul says, this understanding of the sufficiency of Christ is so important because you and I have to get to the place as we mature, verse 3, that we understand that in Jesus Christ are hidden. By the way, that word doesn't mean that God's hiding something from us. The word could be translated stored up. So maybe for your own sake, use those words. In Christ are stored up all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christ is the power of God. In the wisdom of God, we learned back in 1 Corinthians, and now here Paul again is saying, Oh, in Christ are all the treasures, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Any wisdom that we need, any knowledge that we need. Because what Paul really is saying here is that Christ is our treasure. Christ is our treasure. Because everything we will ever want or ever need can be found in Him, never outside of Him. And the reason why Paul is hammering this point home is not only because that's an evidence of spiritual maturity, realizing that I don't need to ever look outside of Christ for anything. Whatever I truly need, I can find within Jesus Christ. But Paul had another reason for hammering this home. The false teachers that had already started to spread their doctrine that It's nice that you have Jesus, but you need something. You you need us. See, We we have this secret knowledge that you don't have yet as Christians, and and you need us to be able to unlock these things and give this to you, you see. No, no, no. So that's why Paul then goes on to say, verse 4, I say this so that no one will deceive you, lead you astray through arguments that sound reasonable. Paul says, I don't care how they package it, how reasonable it sounds. If at the end of their argument or their discussion or anything, they're saying to you that you need something more than Christ, that it's Jesus plus something else, reject it. Reject it. It is a false doctrine. Because in Jesus, as we learned back in chapter 2, verse 9, in Him... All the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. He's got everything that we will ever need. Everything is found in Him. He's our treasure, He's our Savior because we couldn't save ourselves. He's our sustainer because we can't sustain ourselves. He's our supplier because we can't supply ourselves. Everything we will ever need can be found in Jesus Christ from beginning to end. And Paul's saying, get to the place where you have, in a sense, locked that down and where you realize that I don't ever need to look outside of Jesus in my life. And then Paul says, For though I am absent from you in body, I am again present with you in spirit. Through the Spirit, we are spiritually and supernaturally connected to one another. You see. And God again does that for a reason. Why? Because He uses that spiritual connection to bring us together to do ministry together, to serve together, to live together, to to do all this so that, again, we can benefit each other in moving towards the goal of becoming like Christ. So let me repeat just for a moment the environment, Paul says, that must be there in order to get us there is proclaiming Christ, putting Him front and center, being willing to labor, being willing to struggle, as as we engage in that way, God will start to knit hearts together in a community of believers like that that's moving towards that goal. And that as their hearts are knit together, they will be strengthened through their relationships with each other. Then they will come to a greater understanding and comprehension of all that they have in Jesus Christ and His sufficiency. From that will come a greater confidence to be able to step into the arena and to serve and to struggle. But it doesn't end there. Then Paul says, another evidence that we as God's people are maturing, notice at the end of verse 5, that I am rejoicing to see your morale and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This last part of verse 5 is all military language. Those of you that have served in the armed forces, you will especially be able to identify with the concept that Paul is is talking about here. Because what he's saying, and it goes back to the whole thing about struggling and being on the battlefield and all that, he's describing spiritual soldiers of solidarity. He's saying, look, the reason I'm able to rejoice right now is that I'm hearing that there in Colossae, you are all as spiritual soldiers, you are still at your posts. No one has went AWOL. No one has abandoned their fellow soldiers. You are all doing your part and you are all at your post and you are all as spiritual soldiers looking out for one another because you understand you are on a spiritual battlefield every day as you move towards this goal of Christ-likeness. And you have linked arms and you understand I need my fellow soldiers to the right of me and to the left of me. And we're all in this together. And we're going to stay in this together so that we don't allow the enemy to somehow breach us and and get us separated from one another where that he can begin to divide us and get us away from each other. Because the enemy understands, sometimes better than we as Christians understand, that if he can also separate us and keep us apart and not get us together, that we can't practice the very principles that we have talked about tonight. And therefore, it's going to slow down or even stunt our spiritual growth. I love that. Paul says, I'm rejoicing to see your morale. It's like every soldier is in order. They're where they're supposed to be. They're at their post. A searching question all of us need to ask ourselves tonight, based on this message, is am I at my post? Am I willing to labor and struggle? And let me, in closing, have you turn to the book of Ephesians, because this passage of Scripture really supports and, and goes along with what we've been talking about tonight. And I can't say it obviously any better than Paul's already said it. I'm going to begin in verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 4 where Paul talks about the fact that God calls spiritual leaders in all generations and that the again goal of these spiritual leaders, verse 12 is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to serve the church. That is, again, to build up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Just what he's been talking about in Colossians. Because in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. A mature person attaining to the measure of Christ's full stature. So, we are no longer to be children Infants, tossed back and forth by waves and carried about by every wind of teaching and by the trickery of people who craftily carry out their deceitful schemes, exactly what he warned the Colossians about. I don't want people coming in leading you astray that there's something outside of Jesus that you need or can find. But practicing the truth in love, because your hearts are knit together in love, we will in all things grow up into Christ. Who is the head? From him the whole body grows, fitted and held together through every supporting ligament. Here's the key, the last phrase of verse 16. As each one does its part, the body grows in love. See, the principle is this. The only way the body reaches its full potential is when every Christian in the body is doing their part. Otherwise, we're missing something. We're missing you. We're missing what you offer, what you can bring, what again, stewardship of God, He's given you, the gifts, the talents, the abilities, all that, you will add something to the body of Christ. And if you're missing, and if you're not engaged, and not willing to labor, and you're not willing to enter in and struggle, then the body never really reaches its full potential. That's where you and I really, especially in these days, before we all come back together, we need to ask ourselves, am I doing my part? Am I doing my part to help my brothers and sisters mature in Christ? You know, Jesus said, Love each other as I have loved you. And by this kind of love, this quality of love, all men will know that you're my disciples. One of the greatest ways you and I demonstrate our love for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ is the same way Paul demonstrated it, by proclaiming Christ, by being willing to labor, by being willing to struggle, even to the point of experiencing pain like childbirth until Christ is formed in us. Let's pray. God, we thank You that You're so clear in Your Word about what our goals in life should be, even as believers, what the goal of the church should be, what we should be all about when we come together, how we should do it and why we should do it. And it all comes back to Christ. He should have first place in everything. And that in Christ we have everything we need. And yet from the beginning of time, even all the way back to the garden, when Satan first tempted the first human beings, his strategy was to get them to feel like they were missing something other than what God had supplied for them. God, we can be susceptible to the very same things. That somehow after all that we have in Christ, we think that there's something else more out there, more fulfilling, more satisfying that we should go after rather than just continuing to dive into Jesus. God, I pray that your church all over this world, all true believers in Jesus Christ would once and for all just commit themselves to being like Jesus Christ and learning more about Jesus and worshiping Him more than they ever have before. Because God, I truly believe the more we lift up Jesus, the more we are lifted up. And so God, I pray tonight that we would commit ourselves to this goal and that we would ask ourselves, God, what part do you want me to play as I serve your church? God, I I truly believe that there can be a spiritual revival. That God, your true church, those that really mean business with you, God, you don't need a lot of people to turn the world upside down. You proved that many times before. You don't need a crowd. All you need are a few committed believers, and God, you can do so much. And so God, I pray tonight that we would we would, in a sense, raise our hands to you and say, God, I want to be one of those. I want to be one of those, God, that I lay it all on the line, that I leave nothing on the field of battle, that I present my body a living sacrifice to you, God, every day. God, I truly believe That if your church would rise, God, this world would never be the same. That eternity would be shaking by the impact of God's people finally rising up and becoming the church that you've always desired us to be. God, I don't think it's too late. Because God, in your mind, as long as we have breath... (laughs) We have that opportunity. So God, you've given us that breath. So we have the opportunity. Let's seize it, God, for your glory and your honor. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us tonight. We hope to see you right back here, 10 o'clock Sunday morning. Please join us as we stream our service again. God bless.